0: Our Lord and our God, we firmly believe that you are here, that you see us, that you hear us. We adore you with profound reverence. We ask your pardon for our sins, the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. You know, my friends, after some thought and some prayer, I, uh, I kind of, uh, well, I do feel um, motivated or moved, however you want to describe it, to uh, finish the vocation story I started two weeks ago, and uh, because I was rambling on, I never really did get to the, really the point I wanted to make, and uh, so tonight I, uh, I want to uh, more completely discuss some of the things that I had to really go quickly over, because I do feel blessed, and I, um, I, I want to cover in more detail the incredible grace that... Um, not just I have received, but we have all received um, as a result. And and to finally get to the point that I was really leading uh, to, uh, that I did not get to last time, that the vocational calls are ongoing. Once we have discovered our particular vocation, how the Lord has called us to live out holiness in Uh, our life in a particular way for the kingdom, um, he keeps calling us to go deeper within that vocation. And I want to address some of the ways that he has been doing that in my life, because I do think, uh, even though uh, most of you are not called to the priesthood, um, although some of you are, (laughs) um, that uh, all of us are called to continue that process of going, Uh, deeper in the Lord. But as I said last time, it was difficult for me to decide what to talk about and uh, to make sure that it was relevant. I did not want this to be a nice story about God moving in my life because that uh, is boring, honestly. Uh, You can sit around and have a beer later. Maybe I can talk about that. But this is not supposed to be a priestly vocation talk. It's supposed to be about the movement of grace because we all, please God, are experiencing that, that God is moving in all of our lives and so therefore it's relevant regardless of what your vocation is okay so this is my hope last time i did lay at the foundation i spoke a little bit about my family life the summary of that is i have an awesome family and so there you go that's summarized um, but god <laughs> god does call all kinds of uh men to the priesthood he calls all kinds of people to various vocations he calls young and old men he calls cradle catholics uh, to converts. He calls those who were playing mass when they were little, with the little mass and the naked wafers, uh, to those that have never once thought about being a priest. That's where I was. They call intellectuals. That's Father Don. They call non-intellectuals. That's me. Um, they call introverts and extroverts. They uh, call funny men. He calls stoic men. Uh, he calls fat men and skinny men. That's just a joke. He only calls fat men or potentially fat priests. (laughs) Um, Anyway, I'm just kidding. Anyway, uh, you know, I spoke uh, last time about my reversion. I call it reversion because I've never really been away from the church. And I do think, though, that the Lord always uses basic methods, and he has used most of those in my life, or all of them, really. He uses his word. He uses the scriptures to draw us closer to him so we can discover who he is more perfectly and in doing so, we discover who we are and he tells us what he wants us to do. And of course, the most blessed sacrament, the source and summit of our faith, we can't possibly discover who he is or who we are without uh, the Eucharist playing some role in that. For me, it was a very big role. Makes sense. Uh, Of course, the confessional, we are sinners, every last one of us, and uh, I think it would be shocking, honestly, to find a vocational story that did not involve some form of recognition uh, of our brokenness and our need for mercy, uh, and that it is, uh, you know, received most perfectly. This was his plan um, in the confessional, so it's almost always part of our, our vocation story is the confessional, and so is prayer. You know, we learn as children how to pray these rote prayers, and we memorize them, and it's good prayer, but it's not sufficient for adults. You know, we, our Catholic education ends in eighth grade, and we seem to be stuck in eighth grade. But when we begin to really encounter a God of love and mercy, a relational God in prayer, that is when we will discover our vocation, how he wants us to, um, live out, well, how he wants us to help bring about the kingdom now. He wants us to be part of his salvific plan. And when we discover that intimacy in our daily prayer with him, he reveals to us his plan for you and for me. At least that's the way it's been for me. And it's never done alone. Our vocational journeys are never, uh, well, I think it would be incredibly rare anyhow, to be discovered by yourself. There's somebody, there's many somebodies likely that are helping you along this path to discovering who you are and how God wants you to live out your particular vocation to holiness. And almost always, in fact, I would say always, there are difficulties along the way. Difficulties, maybe the biggest difficulty is you still do not know. And patience is uh, difficult sometimes. But I promise you, those difficulties are always rewarded when we embrace the grace that accompanies them. And peace and joy are possible along the way. You know, our Lord did tell us to pick up our cross. Not our comfortable blanket, not our soft pillow, but our cross. So I do think sacrifice is part of this journey. It was part of mine. It continues to be part of mine. We have to learn to give ourselves regardless of what our vocation is. You think the priesthood is the only one that is about sacrifice? Then you're not married, (laughs) okay? The marriage uh, matrimony, of course, uh, that vocation is all about sacrifice. But that sacrifice is, of course, rewarded, um, and so our acts of trust and faith um, do lead to greater levels of peace and joy. And I think, at least it's been my case, always there's a surprise. God is always, always more generous than we ever even imagined him to be. He's always more loving and his plan is always more, uh, well, terrific than uh, we even dare to imagine it could be. You know, then I spoke about the actual call. I spent a lot of time on how he particularly called me. Uh, it did require that I respond to it. I've, off, I've spent some time, not a huge amount of time wondering if he was calling me a lot earlier. I don't think that would be the case, but um, I didn't get through all this, and so I, I kind of want to start my talk, uh, pick it back up here at this point, point. and um, I, I know I will be a little bit repetitive in some regards, but I really only had about 90 <laughs> seconds to talk about some of the things that I, I think are really important uh, if you want to understand how I got to this AMBO. Uh, And then at the end, I will make sure I have time. I do want to talk about how the Lord continues to work in my life because I think it's very relevant to all of us. Um, I spoke about how I did receive an extraordinary grace. I received a rose through a novena to St. Therese. There will be a podcast. You can hear that story. If you want, you can uh, listen to that. Um, But St. Therese has been an instrument of grace. The Lord has used her. Uh, She got me into seminary. I had very little discernment. Some guys spend years discerning. I spent about 10 minutes. <laughs> well, I got a rose. There you go. I'm going to the seminary. There. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, I'm not saying it was easy, but that is kind of the summary. I just reacted. I was obedient. I know how to follow orders. I'm military. Uh, and so uh, it was really, I, again, I received another extraordinary grace. It would have been totally out of character for me to respond to something so dramatic I've been moving in a completely opposite direction. Now I'm going to seminary, and people are going to know this. This is not something you do in private. (laughs) And uh, so I did get an extraordinary grace. And then, as I talked about last time, um, I then began to panic, which you would expect when your discernment is 10 minutes. Now you're in the midst of living it out, in theory. And uh, and it was a dramatic change, so I began to panic, and I... Really, I continually struggle against this call until, well, i still, in part, I, I suppose I still continue to struggle, um, in part, to fully embrace, and I'll talk about that later. And I want to repeat a story that I talked about in that first uh, real week in the seminary. We had a week of orientation, and then we started class when all the old guys came back, and um, it was great just uh, being with all these guys pursuing the same thing I was, peace and joy and God's will. Um, And so uh, then I had to take some philosophy classes, and that was uh, challenging. And so we were getting ready to enter into a 40-hour retreat, total silence, and I had never done that before. And I began to panic, as I said. Um, And so I called my friend, Father Swink, and he uh, told me to suck it up and be a man, Uh, that I committed to doing this for one year. That's all the horizon I needed to look and worry about um and so let's just do that Bite, uh, cut this sermon up into six one-year periods and so i entered into that silence uh with a lack of peace but uh with a plan anyhow that i would set this aside and uh then i went to uh, spiritual direction or i thought it was just confession but this father sweeney he's an fpo a uh Francis of the Primitive Observance. Um, I discovered that he had a life that was not, well, he made a bigger turn because he actually is living a life of poverty, uh, which I do not. But uh, he uh, used to be a uh, Wall Street trader. Was, uh, I, I'm not a millionaire, but uh, he was and uh, made a dramatic turn and now he has literally nothing. And he simply asked me a question. What did you expect you used to own a house, BMW, all these things. You had a certain plan, and now suddenly you're in a, you're in a room the size of your bathroom. These guys, these, these are children. They're half your age, and now you're hanging out with boys. And that's true. What did I expect? I don't know. I expected <laughs> angels singing. I don't know. what. I, I just expected more peace. And so he, told me to sh- he asked me if I had ever done meditative prayer, and I said, I don't really honestly know what that means. I was very ill prepared for seminary, <laughs> and, um, and so uh, he, uh, he said, shut your eyes, and he basically did some Ignatian prayer for me. He told me to use all of my senses, and he described this beautiful scene of me and him walking along this, this dirt road, and he's describing everything to get all of my senses involved, a little ball. I remember very clearly the kids playing in the street. This ball comes across our path, Father Sweeney picks it up gives it to the kid walking along. We're smelling the food, cooking, the temperature, the air, all of it. We're getting all of our senses involved, and we walk up to this house. And we kind of creeped on this family. Uh, The door is cracked open. We were looking inside. This woman, with her back to us, was doing some chores. He knocks quietly on the door. She turns around. It's a blessed mother. I literally almost lost it. Of course, I'm in front of another guy, so I'm trying to hold it together. And so, uh, he uh she comes over, she uh, knows Father Sweeney, she gives him a big hug, and she turns to me. the blessed mother does, and I start to introduce myself hello <laughs> i uh, i 'm Richard Dyer, uh, and she says, "I know who you are rich and she uh, anyway i don 't want to get into all the details, but it was a uh, incredible moment. I really had difficulty keeping my composure and then after confession, I rushed outside and totally. Lost, that I had never experienced that kind of intimacy before. And it was done simply by being open to His grace and meditative prayer. My friends, that is God's plan for all of us. I was unprepared, but I continue to seek that same intimacy every morning and every night and throughout the day in that same encounter with the Lord in prayer. You know, I wish I could tell you that afterwards I was completely filled with peace, but that would not be the truth. Uh, This was only the beginning, honestly, of my struggle. By the end of that first semester, (laughs) I had already decided I was leaving seminary. I could not be a man. I could not suck it up. Uh, But I thought I had to at least complete the semester. And suddenly again, no peace on All Saints Day, November 1st, uh, I was sitting on the other side of chapel than I normally would have because it was crowded in there and uh, because the students were there. And we were praying Psalm 116, we were singing. And I'd never noticed this line before, but we sang, how can I repay the Lord for his goodness to me? And I don't know how to describe this other than to say that time stopped for me. I did not hear an audible word, but I did feel a word, to the extent you can feel words. Um, but my whole body felt one word. How can you repay the Lord for his goodness to me? Stay. Stay. So I wrote that in my breviary, <laughs> stay, exclamation point, because it was a very clear sign. That's how I can repay him. Trust, stay. I have a plan for you. It's better than yours. Stay. I didn't notice the next line for many years afterwards, but the cup of salvation I will raise, I will call in the Lord's name. He wanted me to be his, his priest. He wanted me to find peace and joy through the priesthood. I wish I could say that was enough, but that was not enough. Um, I, uh, by the end of that year, I again decided I was gonna leave, I made a whole nother semester And I decided, no, I know God's calling me, but this is not my plan. I uh, can't possibly find peace and joy this way. And so I'm leaving the seminary and suddenly uh, a lack of peace like never before. So what do I do? I turn to St. Therese again. And this time I made it very difficult for her. I made it difficult for the Lord. I said it had to be a white rose on the ninth day. And Ben Green, my classmate from Wichita, who never was without a dip in his lip and uh, the beard is, I mean, he's not going to give me a rose unless the Lord really wanted him to. But I can tell you that's exactly what happened. It was a white rose, five rose petals on the pew in my, uh, well, the pew that Ben directed me to. Five rose petals. I had five years left in seminary. It was a very clear sign. I wish I could tell you that was enough. I'm a really hard sell, I suppose. <laughs> uh, that extraordinary grace did get me through the last few weeks of the year, and I, I did have a nice parish assignment at Our Relative Angels. That went well and, um, and more or less got me through the next year uh, of philosophy. I finally survived philosophy. I'm not an intellectual, as I said, uh, but I was still uh, struggling to embrace this call because I was afraid. My plan was not the Lord's plan, and I was consumed by fear. I did not want to have to do this every day. (laughs) Preaching was frightening. I'm an introvert. It's hard for me to get up in front of people. And so, uh, well, to have responsibility for your souls is very intimidating. But it's not my responsibility. I discovered it's his, right? I just have to be an instrument of his grace. And so I, uh, well, I lack a lot of knowledge of the church. I'm not a church person. (laughs) I hope that's not scandalous for a priest to say that. (laughs) Um, But you know what I mean by that. It's not that I don't love the church. I love the church, but I'm not, it's not someone I can tell you all these facts about church history and all these obscure, uh, you know, whatevers. I just, that's not, you do not want me on your trivia team. (laughs) You just don't, okay? I also uh, was afraid because I knew I would lose certain control over my life. Pride. I want to be in control of what I am doing and where I am going, who I am living with, and when I get to leave. Simple as that. My whole life I've been doing that. And for me, after uh, more than 43 years at that time, uh, I wanted to have that kind of control. But the Lord wanted me to give it over to Him. And that was difficult. So many fears. So many fears, so many, um, you know, I may have told this story once. i also a little afraid of academics because there's really a lot of smart guys in the seminary. I was not one of them, but uh, I, I'm not a stupid person. I'm not suggesting that by any means. I did really well, um, but it took a lot of effort. Uh, and I really struggled in this one particular class, the Summa class. Um, so we're studying the Summa. We're supposed to be the beginning of theology. <laughs> Good grief! Um, but uh, it was one of those seminar classes, and so we were basically teaching ourselves. The teacher would call on someone. All right, Rich, tell us about this question. And so uh, it was a lot of reading to uh, to know, and then to be able to explain. And being the introvert, uh, I really struggled in that class. Um, and I mean. Mightily struggled. one morning one very early morning. I was going to the chapel to uh, get ready for my holy hour and then mass and It's one of those really moist mornings. The worms are all over the place And I'm noticing these worms are kind of lackadaisical and then I came across this one worm and He is zipping along the sidewalk and I just stopped to look at him. And I'm how is he doing that? This is amazing He's so different How is he going so fast everybody else is slaying around He's stretching himself. And in that moment, the Lord really did pierce my heart. Rich, that's what I'm trying to do to you. You're not going to be quoting the Summa later. But I'm trying to teach you to be stretched. And in stretching, you'll get to where I want you to be. And so, anyway, I learned about the worms. Um, And so many fears, though. A friend of mine um, helped me really to... uh, to confront my fears, when he introduced me to 1 John four eighteen, perfect love casts out all fears. My friends, if you are not in love, then you will be afraid. He wants us to fall in love with him. And all those worldly fears uh, don't perhaps go away immediately, but they, uh, well, we have some uh, greater peace. And that sustained me for uh, a very long time, honestly, that just meditating with that reality that God wants uh, me to love him more perfectly. I spent lots of time in chapel. In fact, I thought I was so bad at it, I made sure I did two holy hours every day uh, one in the morning, one in the late afternoon, um, making sure I was doing it right because I didn't trust my disordered nature. And then I went on to the diaconate. I kind of fell into the diaconate. I don't know I, if you were here last time, uh, you know I kind of just am going through life in a certain sense, and so many awesome things are happening to me. Um, Uh, I knew I was called, but I still lacked a particular desire uh, to do this. And I prayed often this Prayer of Abandonment by Blessed Charles de Foucault. Before every class, so several times a day, uh, I would try to uh, look it up, Prayer of Abandonment, Charles de Foucault. He's blessed. Um, I really tried to abandon myself to my will and turn it over to his. And I discovered uh, that, uh, well, I discovered I would need to uh, truly discover abandonment because right after I was ordained a deacon, we discovered that my father had stage four can- cancer, kidney cancer, that spread from his kidney to his liver, his, uh, his backbone, his lungs, his brains. It was literally everywhere. And um, anyway, so I had to go back to seminary after that summer. My dad was suffering. Um, And he started to go downhill more rapidly than we were told and so uh, I was really worried that he would not be able to come to my ordination which would have been on June 9th, 2011. So some friends encouraged me to uh, write the bishop and see if he would consider uh, ordaining me early. I did that uh, early part of December and I'll never forget this day on December 20th, 2011 I get a call from our vocations director and he said the bishop's got your letter. He was quite impressed and um he says if you're uh, desiring to get ordained early he's available on tuesday <laughs> and that's how it went there's a lot more to that story but uh i you know my let my dad make the decision i had not i told nobody i'd done this uh and uh my parents were conflicted i think my mom knew that once i was ordained my dad would have nothing to stick around for and that's exactly what happened i was ordained uh, at St. Andrews, not in the, um, my home parish, in, uh, not at the cathedral. And uh, I was blessed to have many of my uh, brother priests there even though it was probably in many of their vac- planned vacation time, you know, between Christmas and New Year's, a lot of people take off. Uh, I had some close friends there. It was uh, a beautiful day. My dad sitting right next to me. You know, my dad and I didn't share a lot of intimacy in our life, but that one or two hour uh, moment uh, me sitting there having you know quiet conversations holding his hand during that ordination mass I will never forget and so uh, I was ordained a priest on St. John's feast day so I never get to celebrate the, the mass for your uh, for your anniversary but that's fine a little sacrifice to be ordained on such a great saint first John 418 perfect love casts out all fear and then I get ordained on his day God is good. And then, of course, uh, my first Mass of Thanksgiving the following day on uh, the Feast of the Holy Innocents. For many, many, a couple decades more, I have been, the pro life ministry has been really important to my journey. And for me to be able to have my first Mass of Thanksgiving on the Feast of the Holy Innocents, I thought was a clear sign of the Lord's love for me. Anyway, my uh, father was not able to be at my first Mass. but some friends of ours, uh, my mom wanted to be there, and so some friends of ours were sitting with him praying. And uh, there's a lot to this story, but um, anyway, they were praying a rosary out loud, and he told them to please shh. I'm trying to listen to it. And he's looking around the bedroom, um, seemingly seeing things that they could not see. And uh, and so uh, they thought, well, somehow extraordinary through God's grace, he can do this. Uh, that my dad was able to be a present in a certain sense, mystical way, at my ordin- at my first mass. And wouldn't you know, he died literally the moment I was processing out. They looked at their watch. And so, uh, he, after asking for my mom, she says, "I need to go. I need to go. I need to go now." And uh, he went to the Lord literally the moment his son was processing out. Having- having said his first mass. You know, their son, also dying of cancer, was in a basketball court down the street with an adult friend. And uh, Andrew picked up the basketball at that precise moment, turned to this woman and said, you know what? I think Mr. Dyer just went to the Lord. You know, God is good. He's given my family um, and uh, really our whole diocese uh, an incredible grace. You know, I was still a seminarian. (laughs) I had to go back to seminary. Uh, as a priest. For five and a half years, I had the same seat. People knew that's richest seat. Do not sit in that seat. Of course, I got there really early to make sure no one would take that seat. (laughs) And then, of course, I get back there, and now I'm celebrating Mass. I'm sitting on the other side, and they asked me to take a Mass and to preach. And I preached about that, that I was not made for that seat. My friends, we are not made for particular places. We're made for heaven, And I was not made for that seat. You know, (laughs) to my shame, I uh, forgot the prayer over the offerings during the Mass. So I kind of messed up that. And there was no dismissal. There were some announcements. The rector wanted to talk about me. And then we just left. And so I kind of creeped around the side at the end and gave people a little lesson at the end. (laughs) Anyway, I spent the last almost seven and a half years, 2,724 days, trying to embrace who I already am who I already am. It's been a very slow and arduous process. I still, in certain sense, am going kicking and screaming. But I know that I'm continuing. I'll give you some examples of I'm continuing to receive grace, much grace, so many signs, and deeper levels of peace and joy and uh, ultimately purpose. You know, when I got to Blessed Sack my first assignment, I really didn't know what I was doing. I knew that I was supposed to do certain things. There's not a lot of direction sometimes. so. Um, I, I'm not the greatest conversationalist, so, but I, I know how to high five kids. And so I went out front of the school and that became my thing. I really, uh, I thought, well, this is, you know, I'm not gonna be able to reach everyone. Some people aren't all in, right? And so, but if they love their kid, if they see the priest loving their kid, simply greeting them every morning, rain or shine, snow, whatever, I was out there high fiving their kid, they would begin to love the church. And that was my strategy. And I can tell you, it wasn't my idea. It was the Lord's, but it was very effective. Um, Just simply high-fiving their kids. I did that until the day I was transferred. And, uh, well, I started a men's group, a women's group, because I just needed to be doing something. It's not that I'm the greatest administrator or anything, but these were very successful, uh, including our couples group that we had there. And I visited the hospital and the nursing home, something that was very intimidating for me, but I, the Lord started to show me <laughs> that I could be an instrument of his grace, I could be an instrument of his compassion, his empathy, uh, that I could learn to grow in virtue, especially the virtue of patience uh, by serving people that are truly suffering. And I had suffered in my life in part and had just recently been suffering because of my father's death, um, and so I could empathize with them in a certain way. Uh, and I began an adult, a young adult ministry. I have been over there most of my life. I've walked into churches all my life and been alone. So one of my great passions was to make sure that I connected young adults with each other so you would find community. It's a shame that some people come in and the only time they encounter another person at Mass is during the sign of peace. And so that was one of my great goals. And I, it's not to my credit, it's to theirs, but uh, it was a very successful young adult ministry at Blessed Sacrament back in the day. And uh, I really started to grow. And damn, I'm running out of time again. <laughs> um, anyway, I agonized over preaching. Uh, you know, my first year of the priesthood, uh, Uh, I'm just going to go over. So um, Ruth Ann Lodato was shot in Alexandria. She was shot two days uh, before or after, I forget, uh, a young mother just given birth days before. She had two other kids. Uh, She died in the bathtub. Of course, the pastor's gone. We have press everywhere because this was a, Ruth Ann Lodato's uh, shooting was, um, well, it A lot of news, anyway. And so I had to quickly grow up as a baby priest and just to minister to these families and to know what to say in public. So much to learn. But the more I sacrificed, uh, the more I grew. The more I was generous, the more I began to better understand uh, that the Lord has called me, um, well, to him. You know, I I used to have this thought that, hey, someone should stop that guy. What is he doing up there? He does not belong. And now suddenly I'm speaking words um, that are providing comfort. And then I was ripped out of my first love and I was brought here. I never thought I could find peace again. But this has been my home for the last three years. And I uh, could not be any happier to have been sent to St. Charles. So many awesome people here. And the Lord has really, in the last three years, has started to help me better discover uh, that reality of who I already was. You know, I talk often about this homeless kid, Russell, that has changed my priesthood. He has helped me truly understand what it means to be a father, something I wasn't embracing that reality. But this homeless kid with the facial tattoos, no teeth from really poor decisions, Uh, Has been an instrument of incredible grace to me It's interesting don't judge a book by its cover But we do that all the time and we don't expect enough from each other But he had more joy than I did and how is that possible? When he was sleeping outside in the middle of winter Because he in that moment anyhow had incredible grace. I was sent down to Peru on a mission trip and I can tell you that those 10 days with those 19 missionaries, missionarians changed my priesthood as well. grew some great friendships. You know, we left to go down there, and we were meditating on the blind man, Bartimaeus, that encounter outside of Jericho where the Lord is trying to break down those walls, break down all the walls, the walls we build within ourselves, the walls we build between ourselves, the walls we build between us and him. He wants to tear those walls down, and we meditated on this. And in that encounter, the Lord has with the blind man, he says, what do you want me to do for you? And I says, I want you to help me release the break. You've been just dragging me along this priesthood. I want to release the break so I can embrace who I already am in your eyes. And I want to be an effective priest. I want to be a generous, holy, wise priest. And so that was his desire, too. He wants to release the brace. I, I sometimes keep pressing that. You know, uh, he gives us free will, but I do press down on the brake periodically. But I know I'm um, beginning to more perfectly embrace this reality. And I'll close by talking about this one encounter I had. Um, uh, one of y'all um, helped me discover this, but. It was very sunny there in Peru, and um, we were going around. And my job was to bring the sacraments to the people of God in a language I couldn't speak, and uh, so uh, I had some help. And, um, and so we were going from house to house, and after a couple of houses, um, one of the uh, missionaries said, Father, take the sunglasses off. You see that woman right over there? For the last 45 minutes to an hour, she's been sweeping this one square foot uh, piece of dirt in front of her little hut, just hoping she would see the eyes of her priest. You are that priest. Walk over there, give her a blessing. He challenged me, but that's exactly what I did. I lost the glasses. And he went over there and I gave her a blessing. I couldn't say it in Spanish, but I could make the sign of the cross on her forehead. This woman was glowing like a light because I got out of myself and I became who I already was and I gave her a blessing. You know, I lost those sunglasses when I got back to the States because I realized there's people that are even poorer right around here. They make thousands and thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, but they are poor because they do not know the Lord. And it's our job, it's our vocation to help them better understand who they are. They too are precious sons and daughters of the Heavenly Father. You know, I had to go to a wake service there. I'm going to keep going, I guess. <laughs> I had to go to a wake service and, um, again, in Spanish, this woman had committed suicide because her husband was beating her. And after beating her, he took their kids away, and she just could not handle it anymore. So she took her own life. The priest was not available, so he asked me to go and comfort not just this family, but literally the entire village was mourning. So I walk in this very crowded house. I don't know how to speak Spanish, uh, but I do know how to hug. This woman walks in, and I, I'm struggling to say a few words to her. No palabras, no palabras. I, you know, I have no words. Um, and then I said, the Lord said to me, just give her a hug. And we embraced for probably five minutes, both of us bawling. And peace was starting to happen in that woman's life. And then I had to do that over again when her kids, the grandkids, came. Uh, I you know the Lord did use me as an instrument of grace even though I could not speak the language but you know when I got back here I celebrated a mass on that altar in Spanish uh, because God is good my friends God has a plan for you and it's a good plan some of you are having to wait longer than you expected that's okay because you should enjoy the ride along the way it's hard to enjoy the ride sometimes you look back and wish you had but have humble confidence because he is working. He's right here in his spirit. We just celebrated Pentecost. He's working in your life. And I promise you when you discover it, it will be the only thing that brings you peace and joy. And may God be praised. Amen.